All right, ladies and gentlemen. A recording in progress. A recording in progress and a very formal welcome. Formal welcome. Informal welcome. Warm welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Friday, September 17th. 2021, also known as the 11th day of Tishrei in the year 5782. So, this week's Torah portion is Hazinu. Unlike Chabad.org, Parsha page, we knew what was coming up this weekend. Because if you went to Chabad.org's Parsha page, the first half of the week, it had the Yom Kippur reading. But we had a bit of foresight to know that although the Yom Kippur reading would be read on Yom Kippur on Thursday, that's a one-day thing, and we're going to study the, uh, the Torah portion of the week, which is Hazinu. We have three readings left for today, five, six, and seven. So without further ado, let's jump in. Okay, here we go. Hazinu, reading number five. So just to reset, Hazinu is the story of our people. It's our story before it was our story. Right? That's the big deal. Let me stop sharing for a second for this intro. It's our story before we lived it. It's the prophecy and it's the song that foretells everything that happens in Jewish history. The good times and the not so good times. Which has been done before, by the way, in the book of Deuteronomy. As you know, over the last few months, we've covered this, this general topic. But this time, it's written in very poetic language and heaven and earth are called upon as witnesses for this, and it's, uh, it's very formalized um, in a poetic fashion. So let's, let's now read it inside. I think we were in middle of it not being good for the Jewish people, where things kind of turn for the negative, exile and, and, and hardship. But the last thing we said was, it then gets better because the nations that did this to us, they're going to become haughty and their ego is going to be inflated and they're going to say, look what we've done. And Hashem will say, look what you did. No, 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 this was me dealing with my people the way I need to do it. You're just a pawn. You're just a tool to make this happen, but you're not the ones that are doing this. And because they took, they, they're going to take the credit, they will have a subsequent downfall, and that's where we're up to right now. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse number 29. If, the Torah says, if they were wise, if they, meaning the nations that will persecute the Jewish people, if they were wise, they would understand this. They would reflect upon their fate. How can one person pursue a thousand? In other words, how could they be so good if not for God, delivering us into their hands, the enemy's hands, how could they be so strong? How could they be so, um, so, so successful in, that, in their destruction, in their persecution? How can one person pursue a thousand? And how can two put 10,000 to flight unless their mighty rock has sold them out and the Lord has given them over? And the song continues... This is really Moses who composed this song for their rock, the rock, in other words, the, the stronghold of the other nations, which are basically the idols, is not like our mighty rock. Nevertheless, our enemies sit in judgment. For their vine is, the, is of the vine of Sodom and of the field of Gomorrah. 
Their grapes are grapes of Rosh, and they have bitter clusters. We're going to see Rashi on this in a moment. Their wine is the bitterness of serpents and the bitterness of the ruthless cobras. Is it not stored up with me, sealed up in my treasures? Vengeance is poised with me. In other words, this is now vengeance at the nations that took credit for exiling and persecuting the Jewish people. Vengeance is poised with me, with God, and it will pay at the time their foot stumbles. For the appointed day of their reckoning is near, and what is destined for them hastens. When the Lord will judge His people and will reconsider His servants, when He sees that, their pa- that the power is increasing and none is controlled or strengthened, then He will say, where is their deity, the rock in which they trusted? In other words, where is the false idols that they thought that they could rely on, Right? The Jewish, he's mixing a conversation about, or mixing an expression regarding the nations and the Jewish people. It's kind of moving in and out from both perspectives. So basically he's foreshadowing the vengeance that God will take against the nations that persecute the Jewish people. And at that same time, he'll turn to the Jewish people and say, you trusted in these other nations, you trusted in their gods. Where is their deity? Where is the rock in which they trusted? who ate the fat of, of, of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their libations. Let them arise and help you. Let them be your shelter. In other words, those false gods can't help. See now that it is I. Point is that all of this will demonstrate the power of God. In other words, both the exile of the Jewish people and the subsequent punishment of those nations will all demonstrate that God is the only one in control. See now that it is I. I am the one and there is no God like me. I cause death and grant life. I strike, but I heal, and no one can rescue from my hand. Now, there's so much commentary on this, and we're going we're gonna to toggle Rashi in a second. When I say toggle, we're going to click show Rashi's commentary and bring up Rashi. But first, I do want to point out something that I mentioned in a previous session, previous course, the course about the resurrection of the dead. God is, well, God is quoted here in the song as saying, I cause death and grant life. You would think the first thing is cause life and then grant death. First, first we're born and then we die. But here the order is reversed. I cause death and grant life. This is a hint. This is an illusion. This is a, not illusion, an illusion. This is a foreshadowing of the concept and the Jewish belief in the resurrection of the dead. Ani amis I cause death and grant life in the very same place where there was death. In other words, bringing those who have passed on back to life. Okay, so that's a little bit about the resurrection, parenthetically, in that last verse. But let's go back and let's look at Rashi again. Lots of Rashi here, as you can see, but important to understand the narrative. Okay, let's talk about the nations. Again, there's two, narr- there's two focal points here. It's the nations that are persecuting the Jews and the Jewish people themselves. Each one has a lesson to learn, and the lesson is the same. Only God is in control. When the Jews forgot that, the nations exiled them. When the nations believed it was them that that have the power, God says, you also need a reminder. You need a reminder and you need a reminder. The point is that everyone should know that God is in control. So let's talk about verse 29. They will reflect upon their faith in nations. They would turn their attention towards thinking carefully about the end of Israel's troubles that the whole cause is God's punishing Israel rather than attributing Israel's defeat to their own power. So the nations, if they were wise, they would realize that it's not them, it's God. Let's continue. How can one person 
of us pursue a thousand of Israel, she says, right? That wouldn't even make sense. That that should be a red flag for the nations. The nations themselves should reflect on this and say, wait a second, we're being wildly successful beyond, right, normal success. Like, how does it even make sense? The only reason it makes sense is because God is orchestrating this. Um, God has sold them out, i.e., Rashi says, has sold them out and given them over into our hands, deliverer in Old French. Well, that's an easy Old French word to, to uh, parse in English. Deliverer. And it's great because in the Hebrew, if you're good with the Hebrew side, it's literally deliverer. Deliverer. I just highlighted it. It's with the, um, it's the blue right there. Deliverer. Okay, back to our story. 31. Their rock is not like our rock, our mighty rock. The enemy should have understood all the above that the Lord gave Israel over to them, and that victory must not be attributed to them or to their deities. For until now, their deities have achieved nothing against our rock, because their rock is not like our rock. Okay. Nevertheless, our enemies sit in judgment. Nevertheless, now our enemies are judging us. It must be then that our rock has given us over to them. Exactly. So the point is that previously, previously on world history, the nations had no power over the Jewish people. The Jewish people rolled through. They rolled over Egypt. Ten plagues, they rolled over Amalek, they rolled over um, Sichon, they rolled over Og, they rolled over the seven nations in the land of Israel, they rolled over everybody. Suddenly there's going to come a time when the nations defeat and destroy the temple and exile us. That makes sense? Only, the only rationale is that it's God that's doing this. God did that, God did this. And, the, and these nations should have figured it out, but they didn't. For their vine is the vine of Sodom. Let's see what Rashi says. This verse is connected to the above. Um, I said to myself that I would make an end of them. Oh, yeah, so this is now going back to the Jewish people, right? So God says that I, I, I promised myself that I'm going to make an end to them, eradicate the remembrance from mankind because their deeds are those of Sodom and Amorah. Um, let's continue. Grapes of Rosh, not grapes of wrath. That's a different title. Um, Rosh means a bitter herb. Okay. Cultured poppy from which opium is extracted. Who would have thought? You didn't think you would have an opium reference right here in today's, uh, well, in this Torah section that we're studying today. They have bitter clusters, a bitter drink, which is appropriate for them. Their punishment corresponds to their deeds. Unclos translates it, also renders this phrase. And the punishment of their deeds is like their bitterness. Okay, we got that. Their wine is bitter, is the bitterness of serpents. Okay, the bitterness of ruthless cobras. Uh, Rashi says in the second Rashi here, the cobra is ruthless when it bites. So this is referring to a ruthless enemy who will come and seek out their retribution. Okay, let's continue it. Um, is it not stored up with me? Rashi explains. They think that I have forgotten their evil deeds, but these deeds are all locked away and preserved before me. In other words, God doesn't forget. It's stored up with me. God says rhetorically, is it not stored up with me? Sealed in my treasure? In other words, I, uh, um, I, I remember all the negative stuff that was done and the day of reckoning will come. Vengeance is poised with me and, I, and it will pay. The retribution of vengeance, Rashi says, is with me, prepared and held in readiness and it will pay out punishment to them according to their deeds. Okay, there's some grammar stuff there that we're going to skip. Um, at the time their foot stumbles, namely when the merit of their forefathers expires, the merit upon which they're relying, then that is the day of reckoning for the Jewish people, etc. Okay.
Okay, when the Lord will judge his people, when God will exact judgment upon Israel by bringing upon them these aforementioned sufferings. Um, okay, then it says that he will reconsider. What does that mean? Rashi explains, this word denotes changing one's mind, whether for good or for evil. When he sees that, power, that the power is growing, i.e., Rashi says, this is very important, when God sees that the enemy's power is becoming stronger and stronger against Israel, and none among them is controlled or strengthened, so then it's going to flip the other way. Okay, we're skipping this, skipping some grammar stuff. Then God will say, the Holy One will say, where is their deity, the idols which they worship, where are they now? Similar to what we said before, the rock in which they trusted, the rock under which they used to shelter themselves from the sun and the cold. That is to say, the deity in which they have placed their trust to protect them against any harm. You see that it's worthless in this moment of reckoning. And the deities ate of the fat of their sacrifices and their libate, drink of their libations. Let them be your shelter, Rashi says. Let, the, let that same rock that you worship be a refuge and shelter for you. And clearly that's not going to happen. See now that it is I, I'm, I am the one, there is no God like me. Okay, here we go. Understand. So Rashi says, see now. Understand from the punishment that I brought upon you from which no one can rescue you and from the salvation which, will sa which I will save you and that there is no one to stop me, that it is I, I am the one, it is I who can bring someone down and it is I who can lift someone up. So I took you down, I, well, I took you up, I took you down, I'll bring you back up. God is running the show and there's no God with me, no one that can stand up against me. Okay, let's continue reading number six. So the point is, it's going to be good for the Jewish people, then, it's, then, then we're going to forget about God, it's going to be bad. God is going to judge the Jewish people. At the same time, the nations are going to become arrogant. God will judge the nations. And at some point, we're going to rise up. And here we go, chapter 32, verse 40. For I raise up my hand to heaven, and I say, as I live forever, that's like the a message of like an oath. Metaphorically, God doesn't have a hand. And, right, it's, it's all anthrop anthropomorphic terminology. But God, so to speak, is lifting his hand up and promising and pledging, as I live forever. In other words, as I am I, when I sharpen the blade of my sword and my hand grasps judgment, I will bring vengeance upon my adversaries and repay those who hate me. I will intoxicate my arrows with blood, and my sword will consume flesh from the blood of the slain and the captives from the first breach of the enemy. Sing out praise, O you nations, for his people. For he will avenge the blood of his servants, inflict revenge upon his adversaries, and appease his land and his people. And yes, if you're following this poetic language, the narrative just switched. The story, the momentum just turned back in the Jewish people's favor. It was talking about the punishment of the Jewish people, the arrogance of the nations. But in this reading right here, reading number six, the narrative flips and God takes retribution against the nations who harmed his people, yes. So my understanding then is that, yes, we we did not live up to our expectations, but inside we were still one with God. Absolutely. The other, yeah, the other nations, though, were not, not one with God. Correct. Correct. Exactly. Yep. And let's, let's see how, how Rashi explains it. Raise my hand up to heaven. It's making an oath. As I explained before, let's continue. Sharpen the blade of the sword. Uh, grasp judgment. 
Here we go. Here we go. And my hand grasps judgment. Rashi says, leaving the attribute of mercy and applying the attribute of justice on my enemies who harmed Israel. So now we see that the judgment and the sword, so to speak, is going to come down on the enemies who harmed Israel. And God refers to them as my enemies. In other words, I'm taking it personally. For I was angry only a little, but they helped to do harm. This is from Zechariah, from Zechariah. In other words, I was angry at the Jewish people wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. But the nations, they indulged in it. They indulged in it. Um, I will bring vengeance, up, vengeance upon my adversaries. Uh, okay, I want to skip that. It's a medrash. Here we go. Intoxicate my arrows with blood. Whose blood? Who are we referring to? Is this punishment against the Jewish people or against the enemies? Sorry, or against the nations that punished the Jewish people or that executed the punishment, so to speak. And Rashi clarifies it is of the enemy. In other words, of the nations. Because, again, the narrative, this reading, the narrative flips. Instead of God focusing on the Jewish people, now it's focusing on the enemies of the Jewish people. I will intoxicate my arrows with, uh, with blood of the enemy, and my sword will consume flesh, their flesh, i.e. of the enemy, from the blood of the slain of the, and the captives. Um, all this will happen to them because of the sin of the blood of Israel slain and of the captives they took from them. Because they killed, they murdered Jews, and they took, they took Jewish people captive that's why it's going to come back on them. And they, uh, from the first breach of the enemy, from the, first, from the very first breach the enemy made, for when the Holy One, blessed be He, inflicts punishment upon the nations, He visits upon them their own sin and the sin of their ancestors from the very first breach they made in Israel. I guess it's referring to pent-up um, uh, uh, persecution of the Jewish people that all comes to a fore when the hammer comes down. Then we have verse 43 which is the last verse. And look at this Rashi. Have you ever seen this? One verse. Look at this. A three-line verse. And just follow me with the Rashi. Rashi, 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 Rashi. A lot of Rashi right here. Okay? So we're going we're gonna to do uh, a quick version here. Um, Sing out praise, O you nations, for his people. Rashi explains at that time, the nations will praise Israel. In other words, this is the end of days when things flip back in our favor. At that time, the nations will praise Israel, saying, you see now what the praise of this nation is. That they cle Listen to this. That they cleave to the Holy One, blessed be He, through all the sufferings that befell them, and they did not forsake Him. Look at that promise. Look at that prophecy. Look at that song. It, the story of our people was foretold from the beginning. That it would be good, then it would be bad, and then it would be good again, but that the nations of the world will at some point say, can you imagine this people? How they held on to their faith? through all the suffering, through all the persecution that we did to them, that they still maintain their, their, their Judaism, their identity. That's what he's talking about. That they cleave to the Holy and Blessed Be He through all the sufferings that befell them, and they did not forsake Him. They appreciated His goodness. One second. They appreciated His goodness and His praise. That means, again, that the nations will appreciate. Uh, one day, they will appreciate and, uh, and respect our commitment to our faith and to our God. And he will avenge, at that, at that time, he will avenge the blood of, the, of his servants. God will avenge the shedding of their blood, as the phrase literally means. Inflict revenge upon his adversaries for the robbery and the violence which they perpetrated against Israel. Like the matter that is stated, Egypt will be a desolation. Edom is a desolate wilderness for the violence against the children of Judah. In other words, it's, uh, recompense will come back. Um, and appease his land and his people. He will appease his land and his people for the distresses that they experienced and that the enemy perpetrated against them. Okay, 
I feel comfortable with skipping these Rashi's because I feel like I feel like we got the story over here. Okay, so again, just to kind of like put everything together, I hope I feel like I'm repeating myself, but nonetheless, I just want to make sure that it's all tight in uh, in, a, in in a bundle of, of understanding. This Torah portion is the song we didn't finish. By the way, we're up to reading number seven, but I um, I'm going to take a break in the action just to reset. This is Moses' final, one of his final communications where he pens in song, in, a, in poetic, uh, poetic language, the story arc of the Jewish people. How it's going to be amazing. The blessings will be just, just unbelievable in Israel. It's going to be the, the fat of the land. It's, it's, then we're going to forget. We're going to forget about how we got there. We're going to forget about our roots. We're going to forget about God. And that's going to trigger trigger uh, a reminder. The reminder is not going to be pleasant. It's going to be a painful reminder. And God's going to enlist the help of the nations to, 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 to give that reminder. Is that the destruction of the temple? Destruction of the temple, the exile, and persecution. But the nations are going to get carried away with their job. They had a job, but they, they, they get carried away, and they take themselves too seriously. And, then, and, and at a certain point, although it wasn't mentioned clearly here, but it's mentioned in, in the previous Torah portions, Jews will come back. And remember about God. In other words, the reminder will have worked. We needed a reminder, a wake-up call. We got it, and now we woke up. And at, and at the same time, the nations will indulge in their negative ways, at which point the whole narrative flips, and God rescues his people, and the vengeance comes down on the enemies that inflicted the pain and suffering. That's the story. And uh, ultimately, it concludes, it culminates with Mashiach. And, and again, I want to focus on that last verse. The conclusion is that the nations at some point will say, wow, look at this people. We put them through the ringer, and they never let go of their faith. And this is literally our story, written 3,300 years ago. It's literally our story, penned by Moses before it played out, before it happened. How did Moses know that we wouldn't let go? How did he know? Maybe, we, maybe during uh, the, 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 the Crusades, we would have let go. The Inquisition. Maybe the Holocaust, maybe that would have been the end of war. Maybe. How, how did he know? He knew. He not only knew that, but he knew that even the nations would one day say, wow. You know, there was a book. Um, who was it? Not a book. Mark Twain wrote about the secret of Jewish survival. Like, it's how, how miraculous it is. All right. Let's get back. Let's jump back inside and let's do the final reading for this week. Here we go. Let's let Mark in. Rabbi, didn't Hashem tell him? Yes, yeah, 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 no, of course. Yeah, well, it was more, right, it's like, how did Moses know? Yes, of course, right, that's, yes, it, it was a, it was a prophecy, and it was a divine prophecy, exactly. I'm more, re yeah, correct, I'm more remarking about, like, how amazing, how unbelievable it is that, like, this was foretold to us. Like, we, we know about it, we've, we've had the script We've literally had the script even before it played out, which is just mind-boggling. Mark, welcome. Hello, sorry I'm late. No worries, no worries. Right on time for reading number seven. All right, the song has concluded, but now here's the wrap-up. Um, and by the way, the only thing that's left is one more Torah portion which is called Vizot HaBracha, which is the final blessings that Moses gave to each of the tribes. But his communication to the whole nation, this is where it happens, right here. 
Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 44. And Moses came and spoke all the words of this song. That's why I keep on calling it a song, because it's called a shira. Moses came and spoke all the words of this song into the ears of the people. He and Hosea, the son of Nun. Who is Hosea, the son of Nun? That is Joshua. Sometimes his original name was Hosea. It was changed to Yehoshua. What, but but that's, that's the next Joshua, the next leader. Moses teaches the song to the people. Yoshua, Joshua teaches the song to the people. Okay. And Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel. And he said to them, verse 46, and he said, Set your hearts to all the words which I bear witness for you this day. In other words, take it to heart. Take it to heart. So that you may command your children to observe to do all the words of this Torah. You got to take it seriously so that you will teach the next generation and that they'll take it seriously and that they'll take it seriously enough that they'll teach their kids to the point that their kids will teach their kids. Are you with me? You have to not just be inspired to teach your own kids, but inspire them and not be so inspired that you inspire them to inspire their kids to inspire their kids. You get where I'm going with this. Let's continue. Kiloi kumikem. Moses says it's not, em- it's not an empty thing for you. Torah mitzvot, this way of life is not empty, it's not meaningless. Rather, for it is your life. Kihu chayechem, it's your life. And through this thing, you will lengthen your days upon the land to which you are crossing over the Jordan to possess it. This will be your ticket to a long life in the land of Israel until it comes to an end. And with the exile, but and it's going to come back. But this this will be your your pathway to spiritual and material success. That was his message, one of his final messages to the people, right here. Yeah, Mark. Yes. Um, my Rashi says that jo- that Hosea was not uh, another name for Joshua. But that he was like a middleman. Uh, Hosea was a middleman for Joshua. Let's see. Uh, it says he was a maturgaman. It says in earlier, t- that's what Rashi says here. Uh, it says Moses established a spokesman for Joshua so that Joshua should lecture. But it wasn't Joshua lecturing. Hosea was a spokesman for him. Um, yeah. Okay, the problem is Yeshua is also Yeshua ben Nun, Yeshua the son of Nun. What are the odds that there are two Hoseas? No, I don't believe that's the interpretation because Rashi says, and why does scripture call him Hosea? For his name has long been changed to Joshua. Right? It seems like, it seems like, um, that no, Hosea is Joshua. It's the same guy. There's another, there's another party who was a maturgaman, who was a translator or interpreter, but that's, that's a third party. But the two people here, Moses and Hosea, that's Moses and Joshua. But let's, we'll get to that. Uh, we'll go back and let's do a deep dive into that Rashi soon. But let's, um, yeah. No, no, no worries. It's good. We'll, 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 pick that, we'll pick up that conversation. But the final message that Moses has for the people after the song is listen to these words. Take it seriously. This is going to be your key to success and a good life and a long life. Now look at Moses, God's Final, almost final words to Moses. Verse 48. And the Lord spoke to Moses on that very day, saying, Go up this mountain, Mount Avarim, to Mount Nebo, 
Har Navoi, which is in the land of Moab, that is facing Jericho, and see the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel as a possession. In other words, go up on that mountain and you'll be able to look over the land which the people will get. You won't go there, but you'll be able to see it. And die on the mountain upon which you are climbing. That's, ha- that's Mount Nebo. Mount Nebo. Har Nevoi. That's the mountain that Moses was going to pass away on. And die on the mountain which you are climbing and be gathered to your people. Just as your brother Aaron died on Mount Har and was gathered to his people. So just like Aaron passed away on a mountain, which we talked about in the book of Numbers, a very special death, uh, surrounded with peace and tranquility, and etc. So too Moses will pass away like his brother Aaron on a different mountain, Mount Nebo, overlooking the promised land that he was never uh, able to step foot into, but he was able to look out and be buried in that lookout area. Why are you not going to be buried there? Sorry, why, won't you, why are you not allowed to go into Israel, into the land of Canaan, Israel? Verse 51, as a reminder, because you betrayed me in the midst of the children of Israel at the waters of Merivat Kadesh in the desert of Zin, and because you did not sanctify me in the midst of the children of Israel, and that's a reference to hitting the rock instead of speaking to the rock. For from afar you will see the land, but you will not, but you will not come... But you will not come there to the land that I am giving the children of Israel. God tells Moses once again, you'll see the land from afar, but you're not going to actually step foot in the land itself. Okay, now let's go back and look at some Rashi's. First of all, the one with the interpreter. So take a look at what Rashi says. It was the Sabbath upon which there were two leaders because the office was being transferred to Joshua Authority was taken from one and given to the other. So the Talmud says in Tractate Sota that this day was Shabbat. Moses passed, sounds like Moses passed away on a Shabbat. It was the Sabbath. And on that Shabbat, there were two leaders really. Moses was transitioning out and Joshua transitioning in. So on that day, you had two leaders. So Moses appointed a meturgamon, an interpreter or a spokesman for Joshua to relate to the public what Joshua said so that Joshua could expound on the Torah in Moses' lifetime. So that Israel, now let me explain what that means. So before, you know, Twitter, so people would would share information and then how did it get out to the masses, right? Before newspapers and before press releases and whatever it is. So there was a maturgamon, not only interpreter, but but a spokesperson where somebody, a leader would make a statement and then that person was in in charge of PR or um, marketing or putting the message out there. So Moses... May have had one, but he appointed one for Joshua. Again, solidifying the fact that Joshua was going to be the next leader. Does that make sense? Joshua was given a meturgamon, a spokesperson, as the leader on that day. So that's what he's saying. So that Joshua could expound on the Torah in Moses' lifetime, so that Israel would not say to Joshua, during your teacher's lifetime, you did not dare to raise your head. In other words, you know how Jews could speak like very chutzpah, uh, with chutzpah. So imagine, the, imagine if Joshua was silent, never taught, never led, never made a public announcement, public declaration, while Moses was alive. And then Moses passed away, and Joshua says, Hear ye, hear ye, here's what I have to say. People will be like, who are you? You never made public proclamations up until now. Suddenly Moses is gone, and now you think you have the pulpit? The answer is yes. But to avoid the problem, so he did this in Moses' lifetime. In the last day of Moses' life, Moses gave him the maturgamon, the spokesperson, to make proclamations, so that even while Moses was physically alive, Joshua was already stepping into the role of being a leader. Now the question is, why does 
Ray, jump in. Don't forget to unmute. Don't forget to hit unmute. It sh should pop up a button that says click here to unmute. There you go. All right. Is Meturkaman an English or Hebrew word? It is uh, maybe Aramaic. Targum, Tirgum. It's uh, like Targum Unculus. It's a translation. Meturkaman is a is a Hebrew or Aramaic word. Oh. Definitely not English. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And what was the name of the mountain that Aaron passed away on? Har Hahar, Mount Har, H O R. Oh, thank you. Sure. And Moses, on Moshe, on Har Nevoi, or Nebo. Um, they, made a, they, they made a documentary about trying to locate Moses' burial place. It's called Finding Nebo. That was a joke. Finding Nebo. Finding Nebo. Finding Nebo. I don't promise that the jokes are going to be good, just that they will come at random times when you least expect it. Okay, back to our story. Why does scripture, back to Rashi, why does scripture call him Hosea? For his name was changed to Joshua already in the book of Numbers. So Rashi explains to imply that Joshua did not become, ha did not become haughty. For although he was given high status, he humbled himself as he was at the beginning when he was still called Hosea. In other words, he never lost his, his humility as he was when he was still Hosea, not Yehoshua, the new leader. He didn't forget his roots. He stayed humble. Let's continue. Let's continue in Rashi. Um, Moses says, set your hearts. What does that mean? A person must direct his eyes, heart, and ears to the words of the Torah. Let's skip that, Rashi. Let's skip the rest of that, Rashi. All right. Yes. But I've got a question. Yes. I see what Rashi says here. Yeah, so I understand the thing with the uh, But he says he humbled himself. Uh, it was Moses didn't Moses didn't change his name, and Moses was said to be the most humble of all. Right. So and I don't understand. So it's it, there's no it, it's why Moses' name changed or didn't change. I, I don't know, but Moses directly changed Yehoshua's name from Hosea to Yehoshua before he went out on the mission as a, one of the spies, one of the twelve spies. And the Torah is indicating here, so that was Moses' call. Not my call, that was Moses' call. Moses changed his name. Moses changed Joshua's name. And the Torah is telling us that even though Moses changed his name and gave him responsibility and gave him the mantle of leadership and promoted him in a high position, internally, Yehoshua remained humble as he was before he attained the position of power. You know what they say, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right? So power corrupts, power changes people. You know, things change people. Money changes people, power changes people. Right? That's the way it is. So what we're saying now is that Yeshua, even though he got this power, inside he didn't change. Sure, his role changed, but inside he didn't change. Very unique situation. That's what the Torah is attesting to. Torah is testifying to by calling him at this point, when he is now day one of his leadership, called a, a, a throwback, Hoshea. All right, I want to expound upon this opening line of verse 47, which we did already. Ki lo kumikem. Where Moses says to the people, it's not an empty thing for you. In other words, it's not like useless. Oh yeah, I did Torah mitzvahs, now what? I wasted my time. No, it's not empty. That's the simple meaning. 
The deeper meaning is, I don't know, deeper or simple, but that's the simple meaning. I'll give you a, a, another reason, a, another explanation. Kiloi davarek, who? Or kiloi davarek. Torah and mitzvot are not empty. The Torah is not empty. And if we think that it's empty, if we study it, and it doesn't mean anything to us, humikem, it's coming from us. In other words, the issue is not with the Torah. The issue is with us. We're not learning it right. We're not doing it right. We're not in the right frame of mind or frame of heart. In other words, it's we who have to show up in the right way to be able to fully experience the gift that is Torah and mitzvot. So that's a bit of an insight right here onto this um, opening of 47. And then God tells Moses to go up the mountain and he'll pass away on that mountain um, just as your brother Aaron died. Rashi says, God said to Moses, die with the same death that you witnessed and longed for. That Moses removed Aaron's first garment and dressed Eleazar, Aaron's son, with it. Then Moses did the same with the second garment and the third. Aaron then saw his son in his glory. Moses said to this, then said to him, Aaron, my brother, go up onto the couch. Aaron went up, stretch out your hands, stretch out his hands, stretch out your legs, stretch out his legs, close your eyes, close his eyes, close your mouth, Aaron closed his mouth, and he passed away. Thereupon Moses said, Fortune is the one who dies a death like this. This is from the Sifri. Tells us how Aaron passed away and that Moses was, um, not jealous, but Moses wished to pass away with such a peaceful, loving, in such a peaceful, loving manner as his brother. I mean, we know this. The fact is, the fact of life is that there are different ways in, that which people pass away. Sometimes suddenly, sometimes not suddenly, sometimes with a lot of pain and suffering, and sometimes without pain and suffering. Moses witnessed his brother pass away in a as loving and beautiful way possible, with a, a smooth transition and a peaceful and loving transition. And he wished to pass away like that. And God tells him, reassures him, you're going to have the same type of death, and I will make sure of it. Um, and why won't you go into Israel? Because you betrayed me. One final, like, you know, one final... Uh, yeah. Twist of the knife over here a little bit. So uh, Rashi explains, because you betrayed me, you caused the people to rebel against me. When? By the rock, hitting the rock. You caused me not to be sanctified. I said to you, speak to the rock to give water. But instead, they hit the rock. And so they had to hit the rock twice. Had they spoken to it, so the rock would have been given forth water without being hit. The name of heaven would have been sanctified for the Israelites would have said, if the rock, which is subject neither to reward or punishment... <coughs> for if an acts meritoriously receives no reward and if it sins it does not punish and yet without any of these incentives the rock fulfills the command of its creator by producing rock when spoken to it how much more so should we who do have the incentives of reward and punishment fill our creator's will so God says that you should have you should have spoken to the rock and the people would have taken a lesson the rock listens we should listen but you and I know this by now because I've shared this with you like dozens of times that's exactly why Moses didn't speak to the rock because he didn't want the rock to one-up the people. The, the, God should never be able to say, the rock listened, how come you guys don't listen? God, so Moses made sure that the rock never listened. Listened, I had to hit the rock also. The rock's, rock is no better than the people. Anyway, right. yes? Um, what is Sifri? It says Sifri is Zikarot. Sifri is, uh, is a Midrash. Okay. Yeah. It says in my Rosh, it says, Moses and Aaron hit the rock with good intentions. Their sin lay in their not foreseeing the results of their action. Right. And I'm, I'm telling you, based on what Hasidic philosophy says, is that they knew exactly what they were doing, and they, they, took, they took the bullet for the people. In other words, 
God is saying you should have hit the, you should have spoken to the rock because if you would have spoken to the rock, the people would have learned the lesson. The rock listens, we should listen. Sure, but maybe Moses knows the people also, and he knows that at some point in time they're not going to listen. And when they don't listen, then God's going to say, even the rock listened, you don't listen. And so therefore, he didn't want the rock to have a one-up on top of, the, or the rock to be a cause to look askance at the Jewish people. Let's but, continue. But, but, but just on, yeah. this, on this track, though, yes. that if they, they saw what was going to happen, uh, and they knew what was going to happen, according to this, if I read between the lines, the sin of the golden calf came from Moses hitting, hitting the rock. No, this... And how could that be a good thing? The sin of the... No, the golden calf happened at the beginning of the 40 years, and the rock happened at the end of the 40 years. Oh, it did, okay. Yeah. Remember, the rock, the hitting of the rock happens after Miriam passes away at the end of the journey because the well was in the merit of Miriam and she passed away. The water stopped. The people panicked. God says, speak to the rock. Moses hits the rock. So it happens okay. all the way at the end. Yeah, it happens at the end of the 40 years. It didn't cause the golden calf. Um, okay. But according to the Rashi, based on the Sifri, so it's, um, it's, it would have been a message, a wake-up call for the Jewish people. Look, the rock is listening. You should listen. But again, what I'm sharing with you is that that's exactly the reason why, according to Hasidic philosophy, why Moses didn't speak to the rock. Because he didn't want the rock to show up, so to speak, the Jewish people. Because the rock listened so obediently. And the Jews? Not always. Let's continue verse 52. From afar you will see the land. Um, Rashi says, For if you do not see the land now, you will no longer see it in your lifetime. But you will not come there, but know that the land, but I know that the land is dear to you. That is why I say, go up the mountain and see it, so you'll pass away on the overlook, so to speak, even though you won't go down to the land. So um, I, it kind of ends in a bit of a depressing, not depressing, a bit of a, of a downer, which is the um, uh, Moses once again being told uh, and reminded that he's not going into the land and that he, his dream of, of stepping foot in the land will not be fulfilled. Um, but I, yeah, I, at the same time, I also think there's a message of, of, there's a realistic message and a message of hope and a message of positivity. And that is that sometimes we don't fulfill the dream in our lifetime. Sometimes the mission that we begin, the causes that we champion, sometimes they're only culminated a generation or two later. But that doesn't mean that our contribution is insignificant. And just because we didn't get there, doesn't mean that we didn't play a pivotal role. I mean, who do we remember more, Moses or Joshua? I'm not trying to, to slight Joshua in any way. I'm just saying. Who's considered to be the ultimate Jewish leader of all time? It's not Joshua. It's Moses. Even though Moses didn't, on one level, get the job done, but he got the ball rolling, and he set everything up for that next step. So, yes, yeah, sometimes in our, life, in our lives, we feel frustrated because, you know, we wanted to do something and we couldn't do it and our hands were tied, whatever it is, but we weren't able to get it done. The Torah reminds us there's no shame in, in that. There's no shame in starting the process that someone else will, 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 will conclude. Ray, jump in. Don't forget to unmute. Yes. I say it's sort of what you said. That it says somewhere in the Torah that... Um, you start something, but you don't have to finish it. But I didn't have the right word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It says in Pirkei Avot, actually. It says in the Mishnah. Lo alecha ligmar. You don't have to finish the work. 
However, but that doesn't let you off the hook from not engaging in the task. In other words, to engage in the task, we must. That we have necessarily the power to get it done, is that we have the power to, to finish it, not necessarily. But we have to, we have to do what we need to do on our end. That's, uh, that's what's... That's what's um, that, that's what we are called upon to do. So and really... It's a bit like the foundation. Without yes. the foundation, the next part couldn't have come. Correct. And maybe even... And I don't have a, I don't have a better analogy, but maybe even more than the foundation. Again, I don't, I don't have the right terminology. I don't... But, but it's, it might be even, even more. It might be that even as we journey in, it's still Moses that's, that's in spirit walking with us. It's not just, you know, there's, like, there's another dynamic at play. It's, I mean, the song, the, the Torah that we have is, okay, it's obviously from Hashem, but so much of it is, is imbued with the spirit of Moses and the belief of Moses and the encouragement and the love. And I mean, who takes so much time? 37 days every single day to speak to the people like that. Yeah, I mean, it's the right. Talk about a long Jewish goodbye, right? It takes, my kids, I told you this before, my kids count how many times, you know, speaking to family, how many times we say bye before hanging up. It's a Jewish thing, right? They say the Jews say goodbye without leaving. And the Irish leave without saying goodbye. Something like that. I don't know about the Irish. I don't know about that side because... I don't know, but I, but I know the Jewish side. Oh, that is true, okay. But I know the Jewish side for sure. So what's, what's the point? The point is that Moses, who, who, who is like a leader like this, that dedicated his, his whole life in the last moments of his life, in the last day of his life, not to himself, not to personal affairs, not to his family even, but to his, his, his people. It's amazing. I'm sure he spoke to his family also, but, but such love and dedication... You have to believe, and you, we have to know that that carried with us. That's, that's, that's always carried us through. And this promise that there will be a time that's going to get better, you know, even as we've gone through this arc, this downward turn in our history. And I would say we're, we're on the way back up. I mean, if you ask me, we're almost, we're almost all the way back, as you know, right? This can happen, a reference to our JLI course by Mashiach. So we're, all, we're almost all the way back up. But, you know, the belief in that, I mentioned this, I think, on Yom Kippur yesterday at the learner service. The fact that Jews walking to the, to the, um, to the gas chambers, and they knew what was going to happen. Many of them knew. They were singing Ani Mamen. Ani Mamen, Ani Mamen, Ani Mamen. Right? They were singing, we believe, I believe, with pure faith in the coming of Mashiach. Where does that optimism come from? Where does that hope? What, what, are, you, what are you even saying? Millions are marching to death, and you're talking about a, a perfect world, a better future? I mentioned this in the context of Jewish optimism, but that's exactly what it is, Jewish optimism. Because we know, we've been, we've been told, we've seen the story, we've, we've, we've sung the song, we've read the lyrics, we've studied them even, with commentary. 
And you know what it says? It's not going to be good, but it's going to get better. And, that's, and, and we know it's going to happen. It's like the story that I like to tell. The difference between someone who's looking for metal or a coin or a, or a ring on the beach versus someone who actually just dropped their ring. One guy is going to go through superficiality. Maybe I'll find it, maybe I won't. The other one is going to be like, I'm not stopping until I find it. We know it's going to get better. We know there's a treasure. It's a different experience. It's like another parable, they say, about a kid. Every day shows up at the shore looking, looking, looking for ships. One day, a fellow who observes this kid says, uh, what, are you, um, like, what, are you, what are you looking for? Every day, what are you looking for? I'm waiting for a ship to come in. He's like, no ships are coming in here. He says, no, it's going to happen. Says, Every single day you're waiting? Yeah. How, do, how are you so sure? Because the captain is my father and he told me. It's a different experience. It's a different experience. It's even a, it's even a camp song. It's one of the, in the Chabad camps, they made it into a, into a camp song. Hold on one second, let me consult my kids. Nassim or Mendel, you guys here? No, apparently not. Um, yes. Hold on one second, Ray and then Mark, yeah. Um, even Anne Frank, remember, she said she believed in the goodness of people, um, something like that. Yeah. In her position, in her condition, she believed in the future. Yeah, yeah. It's a fierce Jewish optimism. It's a fierce optimism that, again, it's not exclusive, certainly not exclusive to Jews, but there's something in Judaism. I, if we weren't optimistic, we wouldn't have been around this long. It's not possible. We would have given up. So many opportunities to give up. But we know how the story ends. We've seen the script. We've literally, literally seen the script. And it ends on a good note. So we're just waiting for that to play out. Not just waiting. We're anticipating that today it plays out. Helping it come. And make, yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes, Don and Sarah. Exactly. And creating that reality. Good. Mark. Our power partial class is at midday. Yes. Rashi says Hashem spoke to Moses in the middle of the day. Also, also midday. And, it's, and that was the third time. The yes. Third, it happened in the middle of the day. It said the first time was the brightest part of the day when, Mo, when Noah was told uh, uh, by the appearance of the light of the day uh, to enter the ark. Uh, the second time was when the Jews were taken out of, uh, uh, out of Egypt. And this was the third time. Right. And a power part the fourth time. I find that interesting. Yeah. Condensing. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that's great. Maybe the middle of the day is a very special time. Yeah, 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 yeah. God said, I'm doing it. See if you can stop me. Um, I'm trying to find... But there's a long rush on that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah. He ends up saying a man who took us out of Egypt and made the pheasants fly to us, and brought up a well for us, and gave us a Torah. We will not let him die. Right. Uh, the Holy One blesses. He said, hold, I will take him in the day. Right. Hold my beer is what, what the kids say nowadays. Right. God says, you're trying to stop me? I'm God. Not going to happen. All right. You ready? A child alone on the shore. That's the name of the song. I have my trusty book of my songbook, my Camp Gone Israel Songbook. I love this. We've seen camp song. There's nothing like, I'm just telling you a fact, there's nothing like Chabad overnight camp songs. 
the most unbelievable songs. This one is from Camp Ganyasol, Florida, where my kids have gone to camp, Lake Worth, Florida. Here we go. I'm going to read to you the, the, the um, I don't remember the exact tune over here, so I'll read, you, I'll, read, I'll read the lyrics. A child alone on the shore, waving a light up so high to signal a ship that no one can see in a rough, empty ocean and vast, darkened sky. As every sailor passed by, they questioned the boy with the light. Why, little one, do you stand at your post? There's nothing and no one in sight. The young boy looked up, his face all aglow, and waved his small lantern above and below. Please wait here with me, the ship we will see. Dear child, explain to us, how do you know? I'm firm in my faith, the answer is clear. I'm so very certain the ship will appear. The captain has told me and promised he'll come. Of course I believe him. For I am his son. So that's the story. Wow. That's nice. the poem. It's, it's, it sounds much better when it's sung. It's a little bit of a complicated tune. I, as I was reading, I'm like, oh, I think I remember the tune, but it's not going to attempt it right now. Cold. Okay, so that's it for today. So that's it for Hazinu. To me, the takeaway is, number one, this, this week's Torah portion is very special. People memorize it by heart. Uh, people recite it periodically. It says to, it's to contain blessings. It's a song. It's, uh, it's a very special reading, and it also contains our story. The highs, the lows, and the highs again. And I think the message I want to leave you with today is the one that I've been focusing on the last few minutes, which is the one about positivity and optimism. And I mentioned this yesterday in the service, but I'll mention it now again. Um, we live in a world where there's so much negativity. And I was trying to tell a joke yesterday, and I, as I was <laughs> yesterday afternoon, I, like, it came to me like, oh, I remember the joke now, that what's... It was a joke about a, pes- a pessimist. What's, what's a true pessimist? Or maybe... Um, no, I, sorry. I, I think I'm still messing it up. I think the joke goes, what's the definition of a Jewish optimist? A Jewish optimist. But it's, it's like cynical. It's like someone who believes it could always get worse. Are you with me on that? Like the op- okay, that's the joke. But really, it's the other way around. Because Jews, even if we're, you know, jaded and cynical and neurotic and whatever it is, the bottom line is fiercely optimistic. If not, we would not be here. We would have folded our cards and walked away from the table and said, y'all take over, we're out. We would have said that. But we didn't because we know there's going to be a better time. And this is foretold in the Torah. It's foretold by Moses in the song. It's going to get better. And to me, such a powerful verse. I've mentioned it already two times today. But that verse where it says, the idea that the, even the nations of the world are going to sing the praises of the Jewish people, saying, look at these people. How We put them through the ringer, and they're still here. And they're still committed to their faith. That's remarkable. This is ultimately our response to anti-Semitism. When the world tries to squeeze the Judaism out of us, we don't fold. We hold on. And ultimately, we gain the respect. Ultimately, we gain the respect, even of those that don't want to admit it. Because how could you not respect people who respect themselves? Um, if you want to know more about that, join our four-week course, Outsmarting Antisemitism, starting in October. Um, but I, I feel like I want to end with that note, but with a positive note. Let's cherish our heritage and recognize the beauty and the promise of our future May this Shabbos be a Shabbos of song, a Shabbat in which we have the ability to sing the Shir Chadash, the new song that 
King David in Psalm says, we'll sing when Mashiach comes, there'll be a new song composed. It says there were nine songs composed. Nine songs. The song at the sea, this song, Hazinu, other songs, Deborah, remember Deborah the prophetess? She wrote a song when the victory that she had. Various songs throughout history. And the tenth song is the song of Mashiach. May we have the opportunity to sing that song this Shabbos with the coming of Mashiach and the, the fulfillment of all of our hopes and dreams and a better world for us all and uh, only blessings and happiness. Let us say, Amen. Okay, as far as the schedule for next week. So let's think. Let's, let's think about this together. So next week, we have Sukkot, which begins Monday night. Which means Monday is Arab Sukkot, which means I'll probably be building a sukkah. Will we be able to do DPP on Monday? It could go either way. My intention is to send out an email, although I think the last time I said I'll send out an email, I don't think I sent out an email. So... I, that, I apologize for that. Probably not in person anyway. No, 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 no. Yeah, I'm right. So to clarify, yeah, not, not possible in person. Um, can I sneak away a little bit in between prep and do a class? Possibly. Stay tuned. Worst case, if I don't message, feel free to log in and leave, leave the device there. I, it may, may not be the most convenient. I apologize if it's uh, not, not uh, the easiest way, but... I'll, I'm going to try my best to remember, but if I get caught up in something, I may not. So hopefully I'll be able to do a few minutes, you know, some amount of time on Monday. But if not, again, in advance, my apologies. Sunday, just to back up, we should be doing Kabbalah and coffee on Sunday. Um, I believe so. Check the email later today or Saturday night. It's going to have the information. I think so. Um, so Sunday should be Sunday. Sunday night, oh, Sunday night is third session of boot camp on Sukkot. Monday is pending. May not happen, may happen. Sunday night, 7.30, by the way, in person and online. And then the holiday is Tuesday and Wednesday. So the only other days to do it would be Thursday and Friday. Um, but we're not doing... Maybe we do the last Torah portion then, V'zot HaBracha, to get that in. Okay, we'll, strat we'll strategize. At some point next week, I will definitely send a communication about the rest of the week. Um, it's Chol Hamod. So the first two days of the holiday are like holiday days. The last two days are holiday days. The middle days are also holiday, but you can, the electronics and the work can happen, you know, on some level. So, so we could theoretically do it Thursday and Friday. Um, I'll check in. I'll check in with everybody. Okay. Wishing everybody a good Shabbos and a good Yom Tif and lots of blessings and happiness. All right, Chavez. We'll see you all. Pleasure. We'll see you guys. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Pleasure.